let's turn to something straight away. It's warm. I realize that, and I, I'm not going to rush, but at the same time, I'm not going to, uh, you know, let, let's, let, let's go straight. So we're going we're to look at something together for a moment or two. So it's going to, um, so we're going to look at one Samuel, one Samuel in the Old Testament. Uh, I tend to spend a lot, a lot of my time in the New Testament, but we're going to look at the Old Testament uh, tonight for a moment or two. And um, so we're going to look at 1 Samuel together. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're going to look at praying from pain to promise. And how a lady called Hannah, who found herself in uh, a, a horrible moment of her life, a season of her life. It was a horrible season of her life. And um, she really could have gone under. And it's how God moved in her life in a most remarkable way. And as she's turned her heart to pray and seek God, that she moved from a place of pain into a place of promise. So my hope really is that it will help us in our own prayer lives and help you in your own prayer life to move from moments of challenge and circumstance of trial and to be able to come through that into the place of God's promise for your life. And we were looking at this theme of this morning of purpose uh, and it's continuing that really this morning. This morning we looked at Philippians uh, where Paul says about stretching forward for, in purpose for God. And so tonight we're going to look at this uh, laying hold of our, our promises in God. And so we're going to look at that together. So let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 1 and it reads like this. It says, there was a certain man from Ramathem, uh, a Zufte, or Zufte or whatever. I don't know what you would call that actually, but there you go, from the hill country of Ephraim. Azufte is from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jerom, the son of Elihu, the son of Tehoah. They loved things in the east, your family line. There's a big thing in the eastern culture of knowing your family line. Hence, they seem to do this. To you and I, it wouldn't make much difference, but it did in the eastern culture. Uh, the son of Zuf, the Ephraimite. He had two wives. They also in the east, they had a number of wives and family, okay? That was the way they did it back then. But uh, he had two wives. One was called Hannah, the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up uh, from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the, day, whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival, that's the other wife, Penina, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. This got to such a stage that she started to starve herself. Uh, she just wouldn't eat. It was taking its toll on her life. Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once when they had finished eating and drinking at Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly, and made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me. 
and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. This was a way of her saying, he's going to be a special son given to you. It was this idea of taking a Nazarite vow, you wouldn't shave your hair. This was something that was holy at that time. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart. Her lips were moving, but her voice could not be heard. Eli thought that she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great um, anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked him for. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. She went there distraught. She now came back, you know, delighted. Early the next morning, she arose and worshipped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah um, made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. God heard her. When her husband, Elkanah, went up with all the family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband, Elkanah, said to her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until he had been weaned. And after he was weaned, she took the boy with um, with her, young as he was, along with three, a three-year-old bull, um, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And when the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, and he said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He shall be given over to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. Now in this this story, in this account, uh, a man called called Elkanah had two wives, Penina and Hannah. Penina had many children and Hannah had none. In Eastern culture, um, you may know this already, but in Eastern culture, if you didn't have children, or you, you didn't give birth to children, you considered cursed. It was considered um, a terrible thing to come upon your life. In some cultures to this day in the East, in certain parts of the world, it's, it's just like that. And um, so at that time, she would have been considered herself to, to be um, discarded from the family. Although Elkanah was a good man, and he loved his wife dearly. But really, he could have discarded her. And that happens in some parts of the world today. Families get discarded. I think when Bishop Sadir comes amongst us, he'll tell us stories. I've seen people being discarded in the street, left in rubbish heaps to die, and they've been 
Take them back to the old people's home or take them back to the railway children's refuge or take them back to the prostitute's home or take them back to the, um, you know, the, uh, the leprosy village. It's incredible what they're doing in India and some amazing things happening. And he, he could have been with Elkanah. He could have left his wife to the side, but he didn't. He loved her dearly. He was an honourable man, a man after God's heart. But, um, so but, but growing up, li- not growing up, but living, living at a length of time in a family where you were considered cursed and accursed was a terrible, terrible stigma, a terrible thing to carry, a push to the side. And what made it worse, what was doubly worse, was th- this lady, Penina, who had many children and considered blessed, rubbed salt into this other lady's wounds. She provoked her so that she was, it says they're irritated. That's an understatement because it got her so bad that she didn't eat and that she cried all the time. It would have been shown in her body by the loss of weight. It would have been shown in her face by by the sheer anxiety. So she would have been gripped with anxiety, gripped with the sense of a loss of weight, a loss of appetite, gripped with the sense of being thrown to the side, as it were. Even though her husband loved her dearly, this is the type of experience that she was having. She was in pain. She was suffering. You know, uh, I think a man called... Um, uh, there's, there's a Christian writer who wrote, uh, wrote a book. I think um, good things... Bad things happen to good people, rather. Bad things happen to good people. You know, bad things can happen to Christians. And we can suffer. And we, we can go through life where certain circumstance is causing us pain. It can happen in our families. It can happen in relationship. It could be something happening at work. It could be uh, physical pain. It could be emotional. And so there are times in our lives when we go through a protracted time. And this lady, it wasn't just a few weeks. It wasn't a few months. This was year after year. This was years. So this would have been now something that she'd become to terms with. It was part of her life. It would have been ingrained. And so when you begin to do that, you have disassociated behavior. You begin to act like you're cursed. You begin to feel like you're cursed. You begin to act in the way in which you are feeling that pain. And this is what was beginning to come out and happen in her, in her life. Um, and this continued again and again and again. And... Uh, uh, the, the thing that I've seen uh, in my own life, uh, I haven't suffered in that respect perhaps, but it, my, an observation from life and perhaps in my own life is that when we go through pain, we can either come through things bitter or better. You've maybe heard it said. As we go through life, there'll be circumstance where it goes through a challenge, difficulty, painful experience, We can come through those, and we will come through them. All of us will come through certain times. You'll look at your life, and you're living today. Either bitter or better. I I know it's not either or, and I'm making it a bit simplistic, but it's sort of an observation, and it's what I've carried in my own life at times. There have been seasons in my life where I can't get something out of my head because I'm upset about something, and I I know I'm beginning to get into me. And and as it begins to get to me, there's danger that I'm going to get bitter about this. Or, uh, in this story, we see a lady that it was bitter, life was bitter, but she got better. And let's look at how that happened. It's not an easy, quick fix, but I tell you, this is in the Old Testament. We now live in the New Covenant. We've got the power of the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is alive. He's risen from the dead. As Mary Coates said to us this morning when she stood up and addressed us all as a church, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us too. So we've got it even better today. But it's something we can learn from this quite amazing lady from the Bible. It's a character. Her name is 
Hannah. So let's have a look at a few things for a moment or two. Because what she moved, she moved from pain to promise. She moved from bitterness to getting better. And it, it took a few years. It took a year, But there was a journey. And it, she did this as she prayed. Simple as it sounds... And as difficult as it sounds, that's exactly what she turned her face towards God. And as she prayed, things ultimately got better for her. And um, Hannah chose to pray through her pain, crying out to God. And it was at that point that things got better. So there's three things that I want to look at regarding her prayer. And uh, the first one is this. It's, it's that she prayed persistently. There's something about persistence. Uh, there's three things that we're going to look at, just briefly. Persistent, being persistent in prayer. I mean, being persistent in life is important, but particularly as we pray, as we speak to God. When we pray, we speak to God. And there's something very powerful about being persistent. Um, it, says, it says that Elkanah and his family attended um, worship yearly. They, they were per- consistent, persistent. And in her pain, she consistently and persistently attended worship with the family. They would have attended the sacrifice. They would have attended the... the um, they would, the Tamagotchis were saying to us, now it's time to play, or it's time to go to sleep, or something like that. Um, but they would have, persistent, they would have persistently um, you know, attended, as it were. Uh, they were consistent, they were persistent. And now, this is something that we see. It's not maybe explicit in her prayer life, but I, I reason to believe that they were attending worship as a family. She was suffering and going through this trouble, this difficulty, this pain. But this was something that continued, and we read it in the text. Year on year, they attended worship together and they sacrificed and there they were together. It's interesting. There's something about persistence that, that endears the heart of God, that draws the heart of God and that draws us to God and draws God to, us to God and he to us. It's interesting. It says in the book of James, if we draw near to God, he will draw near to you. There's something magnetic in an open heart that, that, that persists that desires to get closer to God. There's, there's something that draws the, on the love of the heart of God. In James, it says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. Now, um, in Psalm 40, verse 1, just to prove a point, look at, listen to this. Psalm 40, verse 1, it says, the psalmist says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. Psalm 41. Psalm 40, verse 1. There's lots of verses throughout the Old and New Testament that talk about being persistent. I'm only going to mention a few, just to prove a point. But this is what this lady did. They were year on year at worship. Psalm 40, verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me, I heard and heard my cry. Interestingly, Jesus continually had a lifestyle of drawing away from the crowds, going to a place to seek his father. So the disciples said to him, will you teach us how to pray? They were so impressed with his continual lifestyle, his habit, his persistence, his continuity of life, continually going aside. He loved the crowds, he loved being amongst people, but he would withdraw. And so they, so what we call the Lord's Prayer comes out of the disciples saying, teach us how to pray. They observe this continual prayer life. Now, this is interesting because it's carried over into the New Testament. And in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 14, we read this. The disciples, it said, they were all of one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. The disciples in Acts, we find in the New Testament, the same picture. And the, the disciples copy Jesus. The disciples 
picked up from Jesus the DNA of life. The DNA of spiritual life is this continual communication with Father God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus himself. Jesus communicated with the Father. The early church communicated with the Father. The power of the early church, it seems to be, in the fact that they continually devoting themselves to prayer. Persistence. Continuity. Being continual in our desire to get closer to God. And in good times, we sometimes take the foot off the gas, as it were, and cruise. We were talking a bit about that complacency. I talked a bit about complacency this morning and how it, it, it can lead to drift in our lives. But sometimes in the bad times, we can give up. So this conti- being persistent is so important in speaking to God. Um, it's important for a number of reasons. Uh, number one, I, I would say, is this. This side of eternity we see partially, here and now. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapters. 12 and 13. In 1 Corinthians 13, he says, we see through a glass dimly or darkly, but then face to face. He talks in chapter 14 about that we prophesy in part. I mean, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? We have all the gifts of the Spirit. We have revelation and knowledge. And yet, in the midst of that, no matter how good we are at that, it will be in part. It's partial. What we see is, is, is through our finite. He gives us revelation, and it's the grace of God, the gift of God, that gives us an understanding and re- something that God reveals. And yet, in the midst of all of that, I cannot say that I've arrived. We were talking about this this morning. We, Paul said, I've not arrived yet. And there's something about this. This side of eternity, in the here and now, we see partially. Now, so Paul says this. We prophesy in part. So he says, you know, ex- ex- um, desire, eagerly desire the gifts, eagerly desire prophecy. But he says, at the end of the day, he says, love will be forever. It conquers all. We prophesy in part, we speak in part, we know in part. Now, so it, at this point of view, we see partially. So when we're going through a hard time, when we're going through a good time, our experience is the limited of our rational and finite mind. And you know when I say it just doesn't add up? Well, you're right. It doesn't seem to, or it doesn't make sense. Or, where are you, God? Or, why is this happening to me? That's, there's nothing wrong in saying that. When we're in pain, that's what's going to be normal. But we see partially. And this, to me, has been a great help when it doesn't add up. So someone will say to me, can you explain this? Why, why does that happen? And it's not a get-out clause, but I, say, I just sometimes I just don't know. But I'm going to trust him. Because I only see that which is partial. Now, God sees everything, and he knows all things. And there are moments when he gives us knowledge, revelation, wisdom, understanding, prophetic gifting, revelation, knowledge, and he drops into our hearts all of his all-knowingness. He gives us something of that. And so persistence puts us in a place whereby we allow time for God to speak. We, We align ourselves up with God's perfect timing. We only see in part but when we are persistent, we come persistently rather than just give up the first, because, well, he hasn't answered. Or, you know, some of us have been praying, and in this auditorium now, some of us have been praying about things for years. We only see in part. So don't give up. God sees your side. He sees all sides. He has 360 vision. We only see partially. So persistence puts us in a place where we can feel and enter what God has for us, although I can't see it. It gives us time, it gives us space, it gives us a place. That's why it's so important. It's not because we have a God who just wants to wind us in a bit more, to get us really, really 
really humble, really, he's got to do us real good. You need to be more humble. I don't think God works. He doesn't play games. God doesn't play games. He doesn't play hide and seek. He says, seek and you'll find. Ask and you shall receive. That's great news, isn't it? So he's not playing games and he's not hard to find. But, so, but there's this side of eternity. I don't see how it all works out. But God sees and God knows and God knows your heart. And this is why it says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined his ear to me and heard my cry. Persistence puts us so that we're in a place to hear and see him, although we don't see this side of eternity. God's timing is perfect. The second thing I'd like to say about persistence is this. God's timing is perfect. He's not surprised. He's not too late. He's not too early. Perfect timing. Absolutely perfect time. And it might be that there, it, we seem to be going through something and we're not getting an answer. But God is perfect in love, in knowledge, in power, in, in every aspect and in every way. I'm partial. We're only partial. I don't understand it. Even when I speak about love, I can only love partially. But God is absolutely perfect. So his timing and his activity is absolutely perfect. Persistent builds spiritual strength and sensitivity to God's timing. In a nutshell, what I've said is this. When we are persistent in prayer, it builds spiritual strength, it exercises our faith, and it builds up our faith as we come again and again. But it also makes us um, sensitive to God's timing and God's perfect plan. When we're persistent, it builds spiritual strength, but it also builds sensitivity to the spiritual realm. There are times when you pray and you get this immediate answer. And there are times when we pray because God is looking to build in our hearts character and strength and spiritual sensitivity. And that's just an observation. That's just an observation about some of those things. So persistently, second thing that we see is this. She, and, and this is what happened. I believe with this lady. This is what happened. Second thing is he, she prayed passionately. So she prayed passionately. She turned um, desperation into devotion. That sounds like a nice little ditty, doesn't it? Desperation to devotion. It rolls off the tongue. It's an easy preaching. It's an easy thing to say. I know it's, uh, you know, you know, one of these things from a preaching book, from desperation to devotion. I'll make a good sermon out of that. But it's exactly what happened for this lady. Amazing. She moved from a desperate place to a devoted place. And this came out of her persistence. Um, it says there that they continued at the temple year after year. It says there that her, she prayed heartfelt prayers. Um, it, it went in, in verse 10, it says she prayed with anguish. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> she prayed bitterly out of bitterness, but bitterly. So with deep anguish, she prayed bitterly. Verse 10. They continually went to worship. Her prayers were heartfelt. Um, there's this... There's, this, there's a picture, really, of the way that she's praying. She's throwing herself upon God's mercy. This morning I showed a picture when we were looking at um, this dedication and desperation to follow God. And it's, it was the picture of Shauna Miller, who was the 400 metres runner um, in the Rio Olympics. And it shows her diving on the finishing line. She dived on the finishing line. If you were here this morning, you saw the picture. And she, she actually dived at the finishing line, and the, 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 the freeze-frame photo shows another runner in line with her, but her, her first, her top half of her body was over the finishing line, and she won the race. And there's something about throwing... And she threw herself on the line to win a gold medal. 
It doesn't happen very often, but she, and it's amazing. She did it. And there's something about throwing ourselves into the arms of God. Desperation, dedication, devotion. Devotion and dedicate, desperation throws ourselves into God's hands. There's something about throwing ourselves into Jesus' arms of love. We sing songs about being in his arms of love. And this lady was... With, with great devotion, she, it's, it's as if she's with anguish, but she's throwing herself into God's arms. There comes this point where she throws herself. You know, through the experience of pain, it became an expression of passionate prayer. She, her experience of pain, there came a point where there was an expression of passionate prayer. She was experiencing pain, but it came out of her with an expression of passion and desire. I I would say that persistence and passion is an igniter. When we pray with persistence and passion, it's a catalyst. It's an igniter. Something ignites. When I come with persistence in prayer and passion, it's, 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 it's ignitable. It's an igniter. Um, at some point, there comes a divine exchange. Um, what happened with this lady, when she was praying with persistence and passion, uh, and a divine exchange took place, which um, replaced bitterness with betterness. Betterness, I'm not sure if I made maybe I made up a word, but it sounds all right. Bitterness and betterness. It, there was this, that a divine exchange took place. This is what happens. When we come with passion... And persistence as we're talking to God with all our hearts. And, and, and it's gut-wrenching. And there's that place where we come again and again. Something happens in the spiritual realm and in the realm of our hearts and minds where a divine exchange takes place. And God, see, and Jesus did this on the cross. He became broken that we might be whole. He was bruised that we might be clean. He was whipped that by stripes we are healed. It's called the divine exchange. And this happens, not only does it happen at the cross, it happens every time when we come in prayer. This, this exchange of bitterness comes and betterness. And this is what happens. And do you know what? You and I can experience it too today because Jesus is alive. And the same power that raised Christ from the dead is here in our hearts and lives today. The divine exchange will be, from, be going from bitter to better. And that's what happens. And that's why it's so important, this passionate persistent desire. It's the Holy Spirit by his grace releases something. It ignites a hope. It ignites. So I've met people that say, do you know what? I just feel it's going to be okay. What do you mean you feel? I I can't describe, but there is a sense of hope and peace. I'm going to come through this. This is is going to happen. Just you try it and see it. It says, oh, taste and see that God is good. Let's taste and have a go and see what God can do in our hearts and lives. Finally, final point is this, we're this close. Bless you. Pray purposefully. She prayed persistently, passionately, and purposefully. Do you notice what she says? She says to God, it's with a sense of purpose. She says, please see my misery. She's so specific. I think she's so desperate now. It's like, you see it. She's very specific. It's very purposeful, her prayers now. Please see my misery. Then she says, give, please give me a son and I will give him to you. They're so purposeful, so specific. The way she's, it's gushing. It's a torrent. She's been through so much now and it's with purpose that she comes. Persistent, passionate, but now it's purposeful. Please see me. Give me a son and I will give him to you. You know, there's something happens. You see, when we come persistently, passionately, the divine exchange, 
seems to be released in our hearts and lives. I can't say when that's going to come, but it will come. When that happens, something amazing happens. We have a revelation. We get insight. We can have hindsight, insight, and foresight. Hindsight, we look back. Insight, we see now. We can see into what God sees. Foresight, we can see the future. It's a prophetic gift can give us all sorts of insight, as it were. And what happens is we get this prophetic release, as it were. It's a revelation. And her prayer is insightful. So when I'm speaking about it's purposeful, it's, it's, it's because she can see. She can see clearly. You know the song, I can see clearly now. She could see clearly. She can see clearly. It's insightful, purposeful. Why purposeful? I mean insightful, revelatory. The prophetic release. God shows her something. And she's able to now come and say, "And this is what I need. And this is what I'm going to do. And there's something about your... And she can see God's purpose and his whole will for her life. It's as if it, her life flashes before her. And she can see the whole will and purpose of God. That's insight. It's prophetic release. And that is open to us all. Insightful, purposeful prayer. It comes out of persistence and passion. And she began to see God in it all. Revelation. She could see God. She could see his purpose. She can see him in it. For year after year after year, she couldn't see anything. But now there was coming a point where she can see and this is, I, I've, I've sp- spoke about this in Philippians when we were looking at it in the morning as a church, Philippians. Paul's in prison and it's, we, we took a series, Joy from Jail. And Paul can see God in it. How can you see God in your life? Vision of God in your life. You're seeing God in life and circumstance and home and, and right now. Otherwise, we'll get bitter. It, 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 he's left me. I'm, ba- I'm, I'm abandoned. But when we can see God in it, in life... In the moment, and this is insight, and this is what she said. She said, please see my misery. Give me my son. I will give him to you. She could, it's as if all of a sudden she can see the purpose of God. It wasn't just gimme, 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 but I'm going to give to you. And I can see your plan and vision for my whole life in all of this. Purposeful prayer is founded in that place of persistence and passion where God grants insight and revelation. And you can see God in it and in your midst of your life. And so you're able to pray with even greater clarity. It's as if your laser is homing in on exactly that which God is now leading your heart and life. I don't know about you, but when I go through hard times, I, I sort of pray about everything and nothing. And then I feel as if I haven't got anything, I can pray about anything. And, but with persistence and passion, there comes a, an insight and a clarity. And you can gather others around you with that. And God begins to speak prophetically into your circumstance and situation. Purposeful prayer is founded on promise. Jesus said, in this world, you will have... How about this? We're now, we're people of the new covenant. And Jesus said this, in this world, you will have trouble, but take courage, I have overcome the world. In this world, you and I will have trouble, but take courage, I have overcome this world. It's a promise to you and I. There's a promise for you and there's a promise for me there. Same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Paul said, I want to take a part in this resurrection, in his suffering and his resurrection. And he says, you can take courage. I have overcome. There's this overcoming energy. There's an overcoming spirit in our hearts and lives. It's through the person of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a promise for you and I. That's why we can come with insight and purpose as we lay hold of his promises, found ourselves with, on the promises of God. And it's amazing. You see, the thing is this. She named, she had a son. She has a son. God answers her prayer. 
She comes into a better place, and she has a son, and she names him Samuel because it says, the Lord heard me. Now, the amazing thing is that Samuel went on to be one of the most amazing prophets where he heard God. And as a little boy and as a young man, he heard God speak. The story goes that Samuel was asleep, and God said, Samuel, and, and Eli eventually, who was uh, mentoring Samuel, said, I think that's God speaking to you. Next time, say, is that you, Lord? And he did. And Samuel was known as the, the prophet who could hear God. It's amazing that Hannah was a woman in pain who broke through into promise and she named her son Samuel because God heard her and Samuel ended up being a man who heard God himself, a great prophet. How about that? How about that for something of a spiritual release in a whole family line? Changed a whole family line. Changed a whole generation. A whole nation was changed for this lady breaking into a better place. And I find it interesting that this praying mum was heard by God and she gave birth to a son who then heard God and changed the dynamic uh, uh, destiny of a nation. And that's what can happen to you and me and through you and me and in our hearts and in our lives. So our call is to pray like Hannah, persistently, passionately, purposefully, and you'll find that you can move from perhaps a bitter place into a better place. And God begin to speak promise, and you see those promise realized in your heart and in our lives, in our church, and over people, and over you here right now. Amen. God bless you. Let's pray. Perhaps if we could come and, and just seal uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in worship as we finally close together in a moment or two, but let's seal something in our hearts. It's great to, to share something, but it's good for God now to seal something. We can share God's word, but let's seal something in God's word. By that I mean, let the Holy Spirit stir something in you and me that we can take from tonight for us and, and do something in the spiritual atmosphere in our church. Seal something in the spiritual atmosphere for our church. For people that aren't even hearing this right now, we pray over our church and over people right now that we be a, a persistent, passionate, purposeful people of God. Heavenly Father, I just pray for your people here tonight. And I, I, it's not going to go without saying that there's going to be someone that's here that's either in physical pain or emotional anxiety or worry or family or upset or concerned about children or, or something to do with job. Or, uh, here tonight, there's going to be people that are feeling pain. And we just want to be people where we're, we don't become bitter, but we get better. And so we open our hearts to you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for uh, the story of a godly woman who seized the moment. Year after year after year, she was being ground down in pain, but she continually held on to you, called out to you, passionately gave her whole heart to you, and you answered with promise and gave her her son who changed the course of a nation. How good you are, Father God. And we just, I just pray tonight for individuals here that you will meet each one at their point of need. Meet, eat, meet each heart. Stir something in each one of us that, that you can reach out to us at this very moment, Lord. Whether it be with persistence, whether it speaks about passion, whether it speaks about insightful purpose. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you just touch our hearts here right now. I pray that you energize and revolutionize our prayer lives and the prayer life of our church. We pray that there comes a spiritual release 
in our hearts and lives and the atmosphere of our church. Awaken something fresh, we pray, for a new day here at Oasis Christian Centre. Father God, we ask. We pray that we'll go back to the churches that maybe that we come from and something fresh will be released in the prayer life of the churches that we represent. Our home prayer life, our personal prayer life, we pray, Father God, like fires, we pray in the name of Jesus and by the power of your spirit, we ask. And in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together, shall we?